Come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God. We are the people he watches over. We are the flock under his care. Let us kneel. Let us fall down before our Lord because he is great, a great king above God's. He is our maker. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Have you ever thought about this wonderful paradox that we have as children of God? Because on the one hand, the only, the only right response before his sheer majesty and his might and his, and his power is to fall on our knees, to fall flat on our face with fear and with trembling, recognising our, our microscopic insignificance and our frailty. It's the only right response. And then at the very same time, it is to shout for joy because he is the steadfast and the merciful rock of our salvation who intimately knows us and loves us and cares for us. He knows you. It's a paradox. Both of those things are true. So this created God is, is insurmountably almighty. He's beyond comprehension in his power and his, and his scope and in his majesty and in his might. And at the same time, we are the flock under his watchful care. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's, it's hard for me to hold that together and I kind of flip and flop between the two. He, he is this mighty God and he is my only friend. He's the king of the universe and he is in residence in my heart. He is the maker of everything, lover of my soul. Get a glimpse of this paradox again today in our, in our passage this week, John 18. Now, the bulk of that teaching is actually online this week. So Andrew and I uh, re- recorded a, a, something of a walkthrough of, of that, that passage this week and uh, we, we did our best to pull out a bunch of ideas that aren't necessarily apparent when you quickly read through uh, that, that passage, and I hope that this week that you would engage with that, John 18, 1 to 14. You're going to find that on our YouTube channel. You'll find it also on Spotify. You'll find it wherever else you get your podcasts. And I, I encourage you to engage with that this week as part of your own following, as part of your own rhythms and practices that you commit to that this week that you would press in into that passage of, of scripture. This morning, I'm just going to read verses 1 to 9 out of that passage, and then I'm going to focus on just one idea, and it is going to be a very short school holiday message. You're welcome. 
The, the scene in John 18, well, it, it comes immediately after the scene in John 17. This is really good stuff, isn't it? It's good already. Um, rather, it, come, it comes straight after this prayer, this prayer of Jesus that in John 17, and you're, in your Bible it will say something like the, the high priestly prayer. Now, we have spent three weeks in June looking at that, that prayer. If you missed any of those weeks, they're all on YouTube, they're all on, on Spotify. Um, please go back and check them out um, because there are some of those messages that, that I reckon might require two or three listens. And I know that there are some of you that have actually done that. You've actually gone back and you've listened to those a couple of times because they're pretty, they're pretty significant and there's a lot in those. And to me, and you've heard me say this before, um, I actually think, this is my own personal conviction, you do not have to share it, but I think that John 17 is the high watermark of the whole book. I personally believe that John, in John 17, in Jesus' prayer to his dad, it holds the keys to understanding the rest of the story, of who he is, of what he's like, of what he's doing and how he's doing it. And so this scene today in John 18, it comes straight after, after that prayer. It's also after the celebration of the Passover meal. It's after the last supper in the upper room. It's after this, this long discourse that Jesus has with his disciples, that really significant teaching moment in John 13, 14, 15, and, and 16, where he's, he's revealing to, to, to his disciples in the most detail about who he is and what he wants and what's coming, what is coming next. That he's going to be going away soon and that you can't come with me and that you're going to, you're going to come under persecution, but don't have fear because I'm sending you the helper, my spirit, who will be with you. And so then Jesus concludes his prayer in John 17 like this, talking to his dad. He says, I've revealed you to them and I will continue to do so and then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Then straight into John 18, the verses aren't going to be on the screen. And so if you've got your Bible with you, then um, turn it on. Um, who, who's actually got like a, a, a physical Bible? Has anybody even brought a physical Bible with them? No hands. Um, I can't actually remember the last time I came to church with, a, with an actual Bible. I know that Irene read from one. Anyway, um, let's, let's reinvigorate that practice, bringing a Bible to church. Anyway, so open up your Bible. John, John 18, 1 to 9, verses 1 to 9. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and they entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches and lanterns and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realised all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. 
Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, then let these go. Look there in verse Verse five, verses 5 and 6. Who are you looking for? Jesus the Nazarene. I am he, Jesus said. This is one of those examples in, 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 our, in our English translations where, where the translators have very, very helpfully inserted a word that was not in the original text just to help it be a little bit more readable for us. So the word, the word he is not in that original Greek text. Who are you looking for? Jesus the Nazarene. I am. Say, I am. I am. I am, Jesus said. And as Jesus said, I am, they all drew back and fell to the ground. I am. You will remember that that this is how Yahweh reveals himself to Moses. If you remember that that dialogue between between God and Moses uh, in Exodus 3, and God's trying to convince Moses, you're the guy that I've chosen to, to go and release your people, release the Israelite nation from slavery. In, in Egypt and Moses is trying to wriggle his way out of it and he's coming up with all kinds of excuses. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what's his name? And what shall I tell them? And God says to Moses, I am. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, when we've walked through this Gospel of John, we've seen that John on multiple occasions has drawn these connections between the person of Jesus and that whole story of Moses and and the Exodus. Some very thick connections there. John, John pulls out seven I am statements metaphors about who this person of Jesus is, drawing connections back to the Almighty. He says, I am the bread of life. Give me another I am. Louder than that. Give me, no, say I am. I am the light of the world. I am the door. The good shepherd. You can do better than that, come on. The resurrection and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. I am am the vine. In John 8, Jesus, he's teaching at the the temple. Rather, he's creating problems and arguments at the temple. And and he's he's teaching and and speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. and, And he says this. He says, your father Abraham, he rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He And he saw it and he was glad. 
The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born. I can hear you, Glenn. There's maybe one or two other voices I can hear. No, it's good. Bring it. Yeah. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. And then in, in John 13, 19, so this is at the, at the Last Supper, and they're probably all still, or they are still sitting around the table, and uh, John 13, verse, verse 19, he's talking about Judas, and Jesus says this to the disciples, I know the ones I've chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that has come. So I'm telling you this now, I'm telling you this now, that one of these people around this table is going to betray me and then you're going to believe that I am has come. And then here's the moment. Jesus is face to face with his betrayer. And as Jesus says, I am. That's good. Was that Dom? Good on you, Dom. Thank you. A little bit of rivalry. Come on. Let's see how this goes. And as Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, I don't know what the picture is in your mind of of this scene. Just imagine it. Go there. Think about it. What's your picture of this scene? Maybe a dozen, maybe 20 people with torchlights flickering in the dark. They're under those gnarled old olive trees. There's some angry religious officials. There's a handful of Roman guards. There's a There's a slimy betrayer and there's a feisty disciple that got a sword from somewhere. (laughs) I am. And the priests and the Pharisees, they're so offended. They stand back. How dare you equate yourself with the great I am, with Yahweh? What's the picture in your mind? Because that's not what was happening here. I don't know what your translation says, whether it says a band or a a cohort or a contingent of soldiers. Uh, Whatever it says in your Bible in verse 3, we're talking about the tenth of a legion, 480 armed soldiers. That's a band, that's a cohort. 480 armed soldiers with torches and swords and weapons. And they all drew back and they fell to the ground. They fell prostrate. Remember the second R, Jeff. They fell prostrate. (laughs) Flat. That's the meaning of the word. Fell down flat. I am. And 480 soldiers and priests and Pharisees and guards and Judas fell backwards flat on the ground. 
This might have been the same John who penned the Revelation, written at a similar time to this Gospel. And John records an encounter with the resurrected, with the glorified Christ in Revelation 1.17. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet. I fell flat at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is the only appropriate posture before the living God. To fall as though dead at his feet, flat. Soldiers and priests and Pharisees, not believers, drew back and fell flat on the ground. And so you know who is in control of the situation here. I'm the one you're looking for. So let these others go. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 8 to 11, writing about Jesus, he says, he humbled himself. He humbled himself in obedience to God. He died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow in heaven and on earth and under their knees. Everyone will bow, both knees. Everyone will fall flat at the name above all names. The I am, because it is the only possible response at the revelation of his glory. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now get this. The word confess, it's a cool word, exomologio. Confess. It means to exuberantly, joyfully, willfully proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is to openly celebrate and praise. You know, I used to think that for enemies of God, that, that for those who are opposed to Jesus, for, for Judas and the Pharisees, that this eventual confession would probably be a begrudged maybe coerced confession that probably wouldn't do them any good anyway. This is joyful confession. This is exuberant praise. At the name of Jesus, at the name of the great I am, the exalted one, every knee will bow and every tongue will joyfully, will exuberantly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Maybe even those 480 soldiers. Maybe even the high priests and the Pharisees. And what if it even included Judas? He's already flat on his face before the king. And so here is the paradox. We humble ourselves before this mighty God, the creator, and we joyfully declare him our Lord. Psalm 95. 
it went like this. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over. We are the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. I'm going to ask that we might spend a bit of time in prayer this morning. And in that time of prayer that you would hold both of those truths together. The almighty God, lover of my soul. That you might pray for those who who you've been interceding for, that they would be the ones who would hear his voice today. That you would pray for, for those who are in the midst of immense difficulty and tragedy at the moment that they would come to understand that they too are the flock within his care. Can I encourage you to do that? You might want to move your seats around if you're comfortable to do that. You might even feel that it's the right thing for you to do to get down on the floor, to kneel, to fall flat on your face. And if there is something in your heart that needs to declare something to God out loud, then please come and I'm going to give you the microphone and you can declare it over all of us. Can you do that now? Can you spend some time in prayer together, acknowledging who this God is, interceding for those who are yet to hear his voice? And in a moment we'll sing another song.